our Holy Father, St. Benedict, chapter the 21st, De Decanis Monasterii, of the Deans of the Monastery. Should the community be large, let there be chosen from it certain brethren of good repute and holy life, and appointed deans, let them carefully direct their deaneries in all things according to the commandments of God and the will of their abbot. And let such men be chosen deans as the abbot may safely trust to share his burdens. Let them not be chosen according to order, but for the merit of their lives and for their wisdom and learning. And should any one of them, being puffed up with pride, be found worthy of blame, and after being thrice corrected refuse to amend, let him be deposed, and one who is worthy put in his place. And we order the same to be done with regard to the prior. But thou, O Lord, have mercy upon us. Yesterday, with chapter 20, we completed what Blessed Schuster calls the Ordo Romanus in Monasterii, the Roman liturgical directory for monasteries. Today we begin the third section of the Holy Rule, which might be linked to chapters 2 and 3, because it pertains to the government of the monastery. We enter today uh, into this third chapter that treats of life in the monastery and in some way corresponds to the Acts of the Apostles. And we begin to see that the Holy Rule presents monastic life first as a participation in the passion, death, and burial of Christ. Chapters 5, 6, and 7 on obedience, silence, and humility. And then a participation in the glorious priesthood of the risen and ascended Christ, who stands before the Father beyond the veil in the heavenly Holy of Holies. Chapters 8 through 20 on the Opus Dei. And today we begin a third part, the continuation through history of the life of the Church described in the Acts of the Apostles, chapters 21 through 72. So it's, it's quite um, remarkable to, to recognize this underlying theological structure of the Holy Rule. Passion, death, and burial. Resurrection and Ascension, Eternal Glorious Priesthood of the Heavenly Holy of Holies, and then the life of the Church is depicted in the Acts of the Apostles. The Roman aphorism, Divide et Impera, Divide and Rule, has acquired, I think for English speakers at least, unpleasant connotations. But it has to do not with sowing division, so as to be able to conquer a people, but rather with distributing responsibilities among many 
all of whom are accountable for higher instincts. Divide et impera lies at the origin of the principle of subsidiarity that informs all good government, be it ecclesiastical or civil, today. The notion of an institution akin to monastic deans already appears in the book of Numbers. Chapter 11. And the Lord said to Moses, Gather unto me seventy men of the ancients of Israel, whom thou knowest to be ancients and masters of the people. And thou shalt bring them, and this phrase is extremely uh, significant, thou shalt bring them to the door of the tabernacle of the covenant, and shalt make them stand there with thee, that I may come down and speak with thee, and I will take of thy spirit and will give to them, that they may bear with thee the burden of the people, and that thou mayest not be burthened alone. The deans of the monastery are akin to the ancients and masters of the people with whom Moses shared the burden of his government. It is noteworthy that before holding a meeting with the ancients to discuss the affairs of the people, Moses summons them to the door of the Tabernacle of the Covenant. There they are to stand with Moses and wait upon God. The service of the elders begins in silence at the door of the Tabernacle of the Covenant. How different is this model from the, for want of a better term, Americanist approach to leadership even in religious institutes, alas, that adopts the secular models of goal-setting, mission statements, planning, and strategy. The ancients, standing in silence at the door of the Tabernacle of the Covenant, become witnesses of the gracious condescension of God who speaks to Moses face to face as a man is wont to speak to his friend. The Spirit, that is, the capital grace given to Moses, is shared among the elders. Having received a participation in Moses' capital grace, the elders can begin to bear with him the burden of the people, lest Moses falter beneath the weight of his charge. You are, I think, all familiar with the notion of capital grace in St. Thomas. It is the grace uh, poured out upon the head in such wise that, following Psalm 132, uh, the grace, the anointing, flows down from the head, even upon the beard, even upon the collar of the robe of Aaron, or even to the hem of his garment, as another translation puts it. That's the notion of capital grace. Some have suggested that in chapter 21, St. Benedict <coughs> has in mind the Genobia of St. Pacomius in Egypt, where households of monks under the headship of 
a foreman or dean specialized in a particular craft. There would have been in the Pacomian uh, monastery households of bakers, cooks, cobblers, carpenters, weavers, gardeners, and scribes. The efficient Pacomian organization, counting thousands of monks, divided into households and tribes, would not have suited Subiaco or Monte Cassino or the Lateran in Rome. St. Benedict does not, all the same, dismiss the notion of having deans, should the community be large, provided that these direct their deaneries in all things according to the commandments of God and the will of their abbot. St. Benedict's deans, like the seven deacons of the primitive church, are in any case to be brethren of good repute and holy life. St. Benedict says, Boni testimonii et sante conversationis. We read in the Acts of the Apostles, Then the twelve, calling together the multitude of the disciples, said, Is it not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables? Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of good reputation, very expression used by St. Benedict, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. This, of course, corresponds in the rule to the uh, principal uh, role and uh, mission of the abbot, uh, to give himself continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. The abbot, as father, priest, and shepherd, must give himself continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The deans, being akin to the deacons, described in the Acts of the Apostles, assist the abbot in the material and organizational service of the monastery. Apart from deans set over groups of monks, there can be deans charged with particular concerns of the community's life. In some monasteries, there are deans of uh, divine worship, a dean of education, a dean of hospitality, a dean of land management, a dean of food services, a dean of health care, and so forth. That's another way of understanding the principle of having deaneries, sectors of life in the monastery. In Egypt and in Gaul, there were Chenobii peopled by hundreds of monks. Some of these, such as the monastery of Agon, were dedicated to the Laus Perennis, that is, to perpetual psalmody. Where did I read recently of a community that had perpetual psalmody, a modern community. Um, I think part of the uh, Anglo-Catholic revival, one of those English communities decided that there would always be uh, someone reading the Psalter, and I can't, can't recall where exactly uh, that was set up, 
but there was this attempt uh, to uh, restore a form of the Laus Perennis, which corresponds uh, to our perpetual adoration. In such large communities, the division into deaneries would have been useful. In Italy, however, where monasteries tended to be smaller, sometimes having as few as twelve monks, abbots preferred to appoint a prepositus, a provost, or second-in-command, and government by deaneries never really came into general use. Even in our own monastery, it is necessary that responsibilities be shared among us. Each brother will develop not only the talents given him by God, but also a willingness to do cheerfully, diligently, and generously whatever task is given him. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so you shall fulfill the law of Christ. Um, the uh, question of uh, having deans is realized uh, not so much in a formal way by uh, designation or by a mandate of the abbot, um, as it is, uh, as it, ha it happens organically in a community. Uh, the abbot begins to identify a certain brother's strengths and gifts, um, uh, certain weaknesses, certain needs of the community, and brothers begin to emerge as being suited to particular areas of responsibility. Uh, without there being a need, at least at this point in our history, there is no need to uh, designate um, any one brother um, officially as a dean. But in fact, we do have deans among us already. Uh, certainly, Dom Elijah is, is the dean of, um, what shall we call it, if we were to give you a title, uh, planning, construction, architecture, engineering, uh, and all that goes, that goes with it. Uh, uh, Dom Finian is certainly uh, the dean of um, all things electrical, <laughs> and <laughs> the dean of woodworking, and the dean of plumbing, and the dean of, well, really, Dom Finian of a lot of things uh, for which you hold responsibility. Uh, Brother John Baptist <coughs> is the dean of work distribution. Uh, um, John Benedict uh, is the Dean of uh, Typesetting and Publications and Liturgiology. Uh, so we, have, we do have, in effect, uh, a particular specialized areas of responsibility, but there's no need to, to proceed at this point to official designations or appointments. Um, <clears throat> Don Benedict prepared um, a little booklet giving the distribution of the Psalter, such as we, um, we shall have it on and on. Um, so for those of you who want to read each day the Psalms of Matins, uh, you, have them, you have them here. And that implies also a redistribution uh, of the Psalms of the Little Hours. Um, it's quite wonderful, this distribution. Um, because it balances the hours in such a way as to make it possible to carry everything out without 
um, thrusting the community headlong into burnout. Uh, and this is, this is um, the perfect example of taking two principles of the rule and applying them. Uh, the, the obligation of the abbot is to apply the rule to life. And St. Benedict says that all things are to be arranged in the monastery um, in such a manner as uh, to give the strong something after which to strive uh, and as to uh, protect the weak from falling back uh, in dismay. So the observance must be at once challenging for some and not daunting for others. Uh, it's not easy for an abbot to uh, arrange things in this way, and yet this is what St. Benedict enjoins. And with regard to the Divine Office, we read, I think, the day before yesterday, uh, St. Benedict's authorization to rearrange the distribution of the Psalms uh, as needed, provided that the Integral Psalter 150 Psalms is recited uh, within a week. So you take those two principles in the rule, um, both are binding on the abbot. And um, this, this uh, slight reworking, because it, it respects uh, integrally uh, lords and vespers and compline, and it simply redistributes the Psalms of Matin so that no one day is excessively uh, burdensome. Uh, in the distribution of the rule, there are days on which Matins uh, would be light, and other days when it's very heavy. Uh, the little hours, um, really St. Benedict um, does a very pragmatic distribution of the Psalms at the little hours, um, and he takes liberty dividing Psalms as needed, and in one case at Vespers joining two Psalms. So we see that his principles um, uh, invite to a certain prudent adaptation according to necessity. And so this particular distribution has been um, six years in the making, uh, with lots of fits and starts and attempts and corrections and recorrections. Um, <clears throat> so it represents a tremendous amount of study and work. Uh, it's not something uh, that was just dreamed up overnight. It's, it, it represents a real investment of ongoing study and also attempts uh, to find the best arrangement. Um, this, this arrangement has in view uh, to, to foster uh, the, the fullest possible participation in the office. I, I would never want us to fall into the situation of some abbeys uh, where on any given day um, the attendance in choir is, is uh, sometimes half or a third of the community uh, for one reason or another. Um, and so I think that uh, we hold, I have to hold to, to uh, I'm talking about Matins here, I have to hold to, to the principles given in the rule and I have to apply them uh, judiciously, such as the mandate given to the abbot. So I, I do my best to... Um, having taken to heart the, the overarching principles to make an application of them 
that fosters uh, the quality uh, of our observance here, uh, preferring nothing to the work of God. 